It's about history. It's about preservation. It's about sense of place here on Eastern Long Island. With Esperanza Leon, I'm Erwin Levy, and this is Our Hamptons. Esperanza. Erwin, where are we going today? Can you believe it's been 25 years of Fairfield in Sagaponic, a.k.a. Ira Rennert's house, or if you want to give a bigger a.k.a., the inspiration for the James Brady novel, The House That Ate the Hamptons. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it, it ate, certainly it ate a full amount of acreage of Sagaponic, yes. It, it, it really did, and that's a... It's almost like I think a good place to start in a sense, just to give a background. I think everyone is pretty much familiar uh, with this property. It's um, it is sort of the, the one one you could look at it as the one that started it all in terms of the supersizing of how houses have been. But in 1997, this land, it was 63 oceanfront acres on Daniels Lane in Sagaponic. It's by, um, by Peter's Pond, right? right. Uh, or I, I, I it's mean, sort of Peter's Pond, Fairfield Pond. I think that's exactly. where the name comes uh, from, right? Let's just say pretty good location. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. yeah. But it was, it was farmland, mm. 63 acres of it, purchased for what now seems like the most, the bargain of the century at a paltry $11 million for 63 uh, oceanfront acres. Um, and a hundred million dollar construction site back then. So just to give you this back. hundred million dollars. To, to construct. To build this, this compound. To, com to build this, and a compound is a good word for it because it does compose a main house of 60, approximately 66,000 square feet and 66,000 with now, I live in a 24, we were talking about this before we started, uh, how I live in a 2,400, 2,500 square foot house, which I don't use half of it. Right, so yeah. I'm, li I'm basically living in about 1,200 square feet. But with the outbuildings, and remember, this guy had power plants, a 100 car garage. 100 uh, car? What, what, 100 Is it underground? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, when you look at the overhead views of this property, and you can find these images all over the internet. I mean, again, remember, this is... This is this is a 25, 25, a 25 year retrospective in a sense what we're doing here, but the 100,000 square feet with the outbuilding. So to give you a couple of comparisons at the time, uh, the big Hollywood producer, Aaron Spelling, uh, he of uh, we remember this show. 90210. My daughters used to love that show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, was about 56,000 square feet. Bill Gates, 40,000 square feet. So this and these, was- And these are residences that you're you're speaking of that aren't here in- Correct, correct. Aaron Spelling, right. Aaron, exactly. Aaron Spelling was uh, somewhere, I guess, in Beverly Hills, I would assume. Bill Gates is somewhere outside of Seattle where Microsoft mm -hmm. was. Um, and, you know, we, the numbers vary. We're just giving a little background just to, for the sheer scale. Well, also, I mean, also for, for some perspective, and I don't really know- exact sizes but think about a big box store like a home depot and right. <laughs> how big that might be 
a very <laughs> thank you for that. She's the Segway queen. Oh, gee. Uh, uh, okay. So <laughs> speaking to that, since I had a feeling you were going to segue into that, I actually looked up Costco, like what an average size Costco is. Okay. Okay. And the average size Costco is 146,000 square feet. Manhattan, for example, is one of the smallest sizes. They have a store in New York City. That's 80,000 square feet. They have a monster location somewhere that's 240,000 square feet. So, but average size, 146,000 square feet for a Costco. So this was 100,000 square feet for a husband, wife, couple of kids, and maybe a few grandchildren. Um, and all the servants needed to keep it all up, I suppose. That, that, that is also true. That is also true. Now, if you want to defend, quote unquote, and I remember, uh, I couldn't find it. I looked for it. But I remember Dan's papers uh, when this was going on, actually writing an article about this of how, well, you know, this really isn't that bad. You know, it could have been, which it, which is true. It was The property could have been zoned for 21 houses, which would have been 21 houses, 21 septic systems, 21. We, we, okay, we get all that. Um, the zoning at the time would set aside 65% of that as open space. So you'd still have that much as Cliff Foster. Now, the Fosters are a farming family in Sagaponic. They're still yeah. there, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I remember I, I was Mario Lee Foster, I think Mary writes, a column, writes a column about this. But, you know, Cliff Foster said he was farming it. You could still grow potatoes on 40 acres, which would have been the set aside, especially on Fairfield, which is some of the, by the way, the fact that he kept the name Fairfield. You made a comment about that. Well, I yes. I mean, I, I make a comment about that with all these developments that you have, you know, whispering fields right. and, you know, potato farm lane or something like that. Yes. And uh, it's yeah, painful. Yeah, yeah. But, and we'll get into this because the editor of the Southampton Press also didn't, wasn't that fond of that name. But to keep the name Fairfield, when it said essentially that's what it was, it was, it was a Fairfield, a farming field, 63 acres that were farmed to keep that for the name of this house, well, let's use the Our Hamptons code. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, okay, so we, we, we understand each other. Now, moving right along, okay, so uh, he sort of, they put this all together, they, as often happens out here with some questionable um, uh, developments, they go forward with it, submitting everything like more in the dead of winter than they do in high season because hopefully it can go that's the trick yeah it's been done since i can remember out when, here when the neighbors aren't about right right and right. even the locals are kind of asleep or away it, it, it apparently that seems to be the case so in january of this year now we're going back he bought the property in 97 so we're probably at 98 when this was going through uh, the advisor, the architect brought all of these drawings. The villa would be as wide and long as a football field yet. And here was the amazing thing. And this is like a big takeaway, really. It required no variances because it rose no higher than 32 feet and occupied. This is a mind blower. It occupied no more than 10% of the property. Right. I mean, if you're building on 63 acres, you're well within your right, I guess. So, yeah. So maybe when Dan, who Dan's papers, he ultimately backtracked away from this, the defending of it after all the scuttlebutt came. But in theory, 
uh, if this was this 63 acres were, were developed, you would have had 21 houses on a third of that property. So 21 houses on whatever, 20, 20 some odd 30 acres, whatever that is. So that didn't occupy 10% of the property. So now here's the crazy part. And this will come true to your heart here because Esperanza, as has been mentioned here, serves on the architectural review board in East Hampton Town. This was Southampton Town at the time before the incorporation of Sagaponic. Apparently, at this time, Esperanza, all it needed was the approval of the ARB. And listen to this one, which can allow or forbid a new house on purely aesthetic considerations. That was it at the time. This wasn't <clears throat> this wasn't considered uh, like vital, you know, because of its farmland, like an agricultural overlay or something like that. It was purely aesthetic. Apparently, yeah. apparently that was the case. And see, I was surprised when I read this at first, I was almost surprised at this because I said, wow, I mean, a board can, I mean, aesthetics is sort of like art. I mean, is there really a right or wrong? How can a yeah, board? It seems, I mean, it seems subjective, right? Yeah, but I mean, I mean I, the, the, the point of that would be whether, and you know, this is the, the sort of the phrase, whether it would be in keeping with the neighborhood or with the right. area. And obviously, <laughs> you would look at this and say, well, not really, because it's a 100,000 square foot house that doesn't play well with the surrounding homes, right? Or how, or how about if I use your second segue of this episode to uh, describe it the way the publisher at the time of the Southampton Press did, who could not conceal his in, in indignation, and this is a quote now. This is Lokheim? Yeah, Lokheim, yes, Joe like Lokheim. Was his brother uh, or some family member the mayor of Sagaponic? He is the mayor. Is the mayor. Okay, so there is okay, so there is a connection here. Maybe I don't know if this maybe brought forth this, you know, this whole incorporation. I'm sure yeah, this eventually brought I I think this probably was a catalyst of some kind, but so Joe, uh, which is the current mayor's okay, brother, I we're gonna assume that. How about no, it's this him? One? It is him. Oh, it is him. Okay. So the fact that the fact that any human being could conceive of dropping an ocean liner sized house in a farming community and then have the nerve to keep the name Fairfield for it is staggering. It is staggering. I mean, that it really, you yeah. know, and so, but getting back to this, Esperanza, one of the only ARB. But I want to just digress for a second because you serve on the ARB in the town of East Hampton. Mm -hmm. Can you, do you discuss, as, you can't really deny something based on, if you think a house is ugly, that's not really grounds to deny. No, again, like I said, it's not, it's not as, oh, it's ugly. You know, you have to base it on how it um, harmonizes with other structures, residences in the area, okay. right? So, okay. you know, while we're, we're not to discourage um, a more contemporary expression, you lean toward the shingle style with the gabled roof and, you know, sort of the more historical expressions of architecture, okay. which, you know, Sagaponic is really very well known for more contemporary expressions. I mean, this is sort of the locus of, of the modernist beach house, right? So, but this, this is something, it's like, this is an Italianate villa dropped on the dune, which I would say nowadays 
that might be the variance or that might be the restriction that FEMA would be saying, eh, no, you have to build that much you know, farther okay. away from, the, okay. I don't know, I'm not sure, okay. right? But just thinking how things evolve, but going back, no, it's not just purely like an aesthetic, like we like it, we don't like it. Right. You look at the context and you say, is the design, you know, for us, is it mass uh, scale placement, line, color, that, you know, those, those are the criteria. Understood. Yeah. Well, the criteria at the time, according to this, and I'm quoting William Wilson, who was the only ARB member uh, at the time, this, again, this is the Southampton Town uh, Architectural Review Board. Now, William Wilson was an architect and his quote, we could find, and this one, you really, yeah, it struck me. Yeah. We could find no fault with the architecture. It reminds me a little of the Frick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's that yeah, kind it's classical, of classical, classical architecture, which, you know, nobody can, can deny that, but does it, like I said before, does it play well with its context? As, and as a full-time Sagaponic resident at the time, a, man, a Joseph Dilworth, there's nothing wrong with the Frick. Dilworth said, but on a potato field in Sagaponic, should right. we drop the Sag Main Street, remember the Sag store? Should we drop the Sag store onto Fifth Avenue? Right, you know, it, imagine not, that. And that's sort of to your point, it would just look out of place. And again, I remember at the time, there was a writer, Linda Bird Frankie, I don't know if she still lives here, but I, she was quoted a lot during this period of time how she tries to be fatalistic. Her house was looking directly over it. She's going to be looking onto a castle. Kurt Vonnegut, the writer, lived in Sagaponic mm -hmm. at the time and was also um, very upset by this. Peter Matheson lived in Sagaponic at the time. Yes. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, high profile uh, people uh, involved in this. And and this is another point that was being made at the time, Esperanza, with her neighbors viewing the construction. Um, his, Ira Reynolds' wife, her name was Ingeborg, I believe, um, was having second thoughts about the size of this compound, worrying that the aquifer under the property wouldn't be sufficient for the sprinkler system to water. And think about this one for a second. I can't wait. To the, yeah, you, this is just, remember where we are farmland uh you know okay would the sprinkler system water the 15 acres of english garden along with the dozens plural acres of lawn so that's what was going on there at the time in addition to the whole somewhat if you want to call a drama with the fosters going to be able to farm the land mm. um which eventually, no. Was a no. And oh, um, and so uh, I think with regard to that, was there some contingency of, of um, if they built this, they had to, you know, sometimes uh, uh, local agencies will negotiate or bargain somehow and say, well, you can do this, but you're going to, it's kind of like buying pine barrens when you, you know, for commercial uh, properties to make improvements or some such thing, you know? So was there that kind of, uh, at, at the time addition? there was a, at the time there was, um, talk 
like for a goodwill gesture that the Rennerts uh, would buy another field in Sagaponic and donate it to Peconic Land Trust, Nature Conservancy. Uh, as far as I know, I, I'm, I can't confirm this, but as far as I know, I don't believe that happened. Maybe it did. But there was a thing I read here that his the corporation that bought these properties is called Blue Turtles. Um, uh, Rennert purchased the corporation, an 11 acre field across the street on David's Lane for another incredibly, it seems like a bargain of the century, $3 million for 11 acres. Across um, the street on Daniel's Lane? On Daniel's Lane. Uh -huh. And it was another of the fields that was farmed by the Foster family. Okay. And at the time, the lawyer, Rennert's lawyer, uh, Blue Turtles, whatever, notified Foster of the purchase and said he can keep farming, farming it this season but then after that, all bets are off. And okay, all right. So there, there was sort of a sort of a concession, but not. <laughs> but sort of, sort of a concession, but not. And um, so, fast forwarding it a little bit, uh, you know, at this point, and look, we know the house was built. Um, there was local Mother Jones, the the art magazine Mother Jones referred to it as local disdain for the house. And the neighbors sued to unsuccessfully halt construction. And one thing, Again, you know, I mean, just to just to clarify, there were there were no laws being broken. So that, well, that's, what grounds that, could you possibly have? Right. That That's that's really that's really exactly what it is. And um, nothing. The laws were not being broken. And interestingly, and this is this was for me. And I remember it at the time. One of the biggest takeaways was both East Hampton and Southampton town did not have a limit onto how large you can build a house. Which seems incredible given, you know, especially today and, and, and how we consider the fact that you can build up to 20,000 square feet, for instance, in East Hampton, and I think still in Southampton. And exactly. that seems excessive. That does seem excessive. And Sagaponic, after they incorporated, and um, I'm sure part of the, the incorporation effort, you know, when places incorporate, there's a lot of issues, reasons why they want to incorporate. Uh, I'm sure Fairfield was a catalyst of some kind. I mean, I would be shocked if it, if it weren't. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. So, so I'm pretty sure that it was. And um, in 2007, not long after they incorporated, uh, their trustees voted to cap to cap the size at 12,000 square feet. And of course, now Sagaponic, you know, they, with tongue in cheek, they call it on Goldman Pond because there's a lot of Goldman Sachs people living there. So it's, you know, that's, I guess it's a take on that old on Golden Ponds, you know, state the obvious on Goldman. So there's obviously that there's, a, let's just say there's a lot of bankers living there. Okay. And we're not, mm -hmm. we're not, our evidence isn't condemning anybody. I'm just, I was just going to say, no, we're not, this is we're not, not a condemnation. No, it's absolutely an observation not. of exactly. And that's what I, I think. I think the appropriate phrase for me or the, the, that, that expression of when in Rome <laughs> yeah, and they're not, not now it's when in Rome, it's like everybody else is building a, a monster house, uh, you know, conspicuous to to all of us except that they're screened so we can't see them but um exactly. but yeah and but but you know like um from the files of you know sometimes the more things change the more things stay the same right um i 
touched on this before we went on air. Um, how I actually, um, I had to make my every so often journey to the Costco and Riverhead, Payne City. But I did stop at the Suffolk County Historical Society. First. Was that, to, sorry, was that to get a sense of the scale? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, because yeah, yeah, when I was, right, when I was in the, <laughs> yeah, when, when I was, when I was in, I said, you know, if I, maybe if I take out the deli department, I'm basically in the same size house as Fairfield now. <laughs> but, but um, I read how Suffolk County Historical had a, um, an exhibit of overhead photography of the Gold Coast estates on the North Shore of Long Island mm -hmm. in Nassau County. Which yeah, we, yeah, I was um, thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, you have so, and I looked at a lot of these and we know the names, the Woolworths, the Morgans, the Pratts. Um, Whitney's, the, right? Yeah, the, the grander, and look, we can even go back. I mean, the Gilded Age in, you know, 1800s New York was also, things like this were happening, but okay, granted, not Costco size, maybe not 100,000 square feet, but still massive. And this was going on, you know, all on the North Shore of Long Island, Old Westbury, Brookville, Oyster Bay, Glen Cove, Kings Point, uh, Sands Point. I mean, this, the point is, and it's sort of what goes around, you know, bringing it back, history repeats itself, Esperanza. Yeah. And this kind of thing is not all that new. I mean, looking at that exhibit, the Pratts, the Whitney's, Otto Kahn, you know, that also caused dismay. Now, part of this exhibit, the director, which is now Preservation Long Island, used to be called Society for Preservation of Long Island Antiquities, but Preservation Long Island, a, a group we love, we love yes. the work they do. They've done a lot of work for Brooks Park and everything else, places our Hamptons is passionate about. But um, he, he writes, uh, Robert McKay, the reaction of native Long Islanders to the onslaught of the rich seemed to have ranged from anger and resistance to bewilderment. Not yeah, that story. sounds about right, even today. <laughs> right. Now, exactly. So reading an article about this, so as I continued this, as I tried to get more into the present day, the difference apparently with the Sagaponic and uh, Fairfield was the suspicion within the community that what's the future use of this house? Now, it was even when this was going on, when he was building it, um, they were worried about a religious retreat or something, mm. you know, in terms of that. And you mean a, a, a more public use versus right, a, right. Would it be something like that? Use, right. Yeah. I mean, because remember this house, and again, depending on what you read, it says it's anywhere from 21 to 29 bedrooms, 21 bathrooms to 39 bathrooms. We're not exactly sure. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but estimated taxes on this house a year or two are 650,000. So um, again, I don't know what the... Yeah, we don't know if that's what it was in, is in. Ira Renard is still alive. He's 87 or 88 now, mm -hmm. still alive. Um, but these houses on the Gold Coast, um, no one would have ever questioned a Whitney or a Vanderbilt, what was their intent since these houses were all built as sort of summer homes. And a researcher from Up Island was writing about this saying, these houses then were a way to outdo your friends. And most were designed by well-done architects of the day, you know, so. 
It, yeah, and that brings me, who was the architect for, for this, uh, for Fairfields? Uh, it was somebody, I mean, the architect was someone I've never heard of. It right, was, that's what, I, that made me think of that because it, it's some, I, it was a Mark, never, not a household name, right? Mark, right, this was Mark Ferguson. Because okay. remember, right, some of these Gold Coast, these were built, you know, you stand for white. I mean, yeah. I mean, Apologies, Mark Ferguson. We don't right. know who you are. Right. Um, not implying you're not a great architect. I mean, I don't, we, we don't, you just, it just wasn't a household name. And this is a community which is, you know, very big on architecture, obviously. But, um, but again, like there's Ohika. I've been to these. I used to live up island, as you know. And Ohika was a French chateau in Cold Spring Harbor um, near Huntington. And it was 109,000 square feet of a main residence. Um, second largest structure only to a built the Biltmore House built by George Vanderbilt in Asheville, North Carolina. And this, Which is now a hotel, is it Right. Not? And Ohika is now a hotel. Also. Okay. Exactly. So, and that gets into that these things ultimately. Yeah. What is the future use, right? right because, because or does future, it become a... Um, a museum, a, a, some kind of uh, monument. We, you know, I which guess it already we, is, obviously. Uh, yeah, correct. I mean, we don't, nobody knows these answers. Maybe um, that's part of the estate of this family. We don't know. Right. Um, but when you think of, you know, a, a conversation we had about the Bell estate and whether these things are sustainable, you know, yes, that is the question, right? You know, you wonder. How sustainable this is, even for a family well, of this you know, caliber. It's so true. And, you know, when I went to that exhibit in Suffolk County uh, in Riverhead yesterday, it showed all of these images. And by and large, most of them all became sub, not all, not all, I won't say all, most of them ultimately turn into subdivisions. When I lived in Great Neck, there was a neighborhood, North Hills, five minutes east of me on Shelter Rock Road. And the village of North Hills used to be all estates, the Paley estate, the Bill Paley, in you know, all of these, um, the Paysons, the Whitney's. And these are all a term near and dear to Esperanza's heart, I'm going to say right now, gated communities. Now. <laughs> so you know Esperanza loves gated communities. Fence uh, <laughs> me in early. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's a shame that we, we don't have a video because I'm watching. I wish I could describe Esperanza's face contorting when I mentioned the term. <laughs> it's really, uh, it's really funny. But um, so a lot of those uh, these properties became gated. There was, but but again, to the point we were bringing up Esperanza, a lot of them have a new life as conference centers, hotels, public spaces. I mean, plant. I think you want. I think you mentioned you were going with your family. Planting the, fields, right? yeah. Planting fields, um, which is a beautiful. Right, public um, gardens. I mean, these these are right. the things that you 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 want in a community. Correct, too, and, right? and Old Westbury Gardens in Nassau County mm -hmm. was once an estate as well. So, I mean, is that the future? Uh, you know, we don't know. Um, that's the question. I mean, is, these mansions, I guess. And the one, these Gold Coast ones are a living examples I just described. They outlive their viability as a private residence. People don't really live like this anymore. Right, right. That's the question I ask. Yeah. Right, right. And getting more locally, this is a name I think you would know, Randall Parsons. He's a local, he's sure, a land, land, land planner out here. And he was retained at the time by the Sagaponic Homeowners Association to review the Fairfield plans. And he submitted a, a report saying the complex 
seems to be designed, these are his words, designed and arranged in the manner of an exclusive resort, conference center, or retreat. And Mr. Parsons said it could be compared to Gurney's, which has 11 buildings totaling 54,000 square feet. So is, again, only, I guess, the estate planners of this family know the answer as to the future. But now here's another family. And this is, again, we're just backtracking just to put it a little bit in perspective. This is Denise Burke O'Brien. You know, the Burks are a, you know, legal family. Yeah. The whole family is, I think the father is a judge or the grandfather. Um, Now she married, he married me by the way. Is that true? Okay. I mean, he married us. Yeah, you're, you're not married. He didn't marry me. Hey, wait, wait, do we have an Our Hamptons exclusive here? Yeah, Esperanza's <laughs> husband is actually Judge Burke. Uh, I'm going to assume, okay, because we know Esperanza's husband is Terry. It's, so we're talking Judge Burke performed the ceremony. Yes, thank you. We want to call I'm cleaning up your mess right now. So thank we don't you. Know. Yes, okay. yes. But anyway, so Denise Burke O'Brien, who I guess is his daughter um, and, or granddaughter, niece, whatever. Um, she was the chair of the, the, the five-member architectural review board at the time and said, likening the house to a Mediterranean villa, and this is her words, I really think the residents that once the house is built and obscured by the landscaping that the surrounding residents will be happy with it. Although at the time, Esperanza, she's shaking her head right now <laughs> listening to that, okay? So you can't see that, but I'll let you know. Esperanza shaking her head. They did criticize the gatehouse as being reminiscent of an entrance to a military academy. I suppose the gatehouse was what was the structure closest to the to the street, because this, you know, we have to visualize this. Daniel's Lane is uh, parallel to the um, to the ocean. um, But this this villa, Mediterranean villa is really right atop the dune almost right so yeah it's in the distance let's put it that way right. 50 acres away exactly and, you know, <laughs> and I, I, yes because remember like we said at the beginning it's built on less than 10 percent of the land right right uh so it really it you know and I, I it broke no rules and a matter of fact you could say at the beginning wow Maybe this, and there was that opinion in the beginning, maybe this won't be so bad. We could have had 21 houses here. Right. So, but again, I don't think of anyone- course that, Of course, the surrounding fields have progressively been developed. So we're, right. we're kind of at that place anyway. It, unfortunately true. And, but, um, so I think we can close on this Esperanza um, because this was a question asked at the time. And I'm actually going to quote Believe it or not, I'm actually going to quote Mr. Rennert's lawyer when he was asked at the time, you know, what if this house in time becomes too large for residential living? This is what we just were discussing, like so many of its early 20th century predecessors. And he replied, and again, you can make this argument. And this is Mr. Towhill. I think his name was Anthony Towhill. I'm not sure of the first name, but anyway, we'll call him Mr. Towhill. He was Ira Rennert's lawyer. And I quote, is any community complaining about having a Bayard cutting arboretum, a co-estate, or a Harrison conference center in their midst? Communities evolve. History is constantly evolving, as people keep telling me, and I know is the case. 
we're not freezing things in time is it is a question though it is a question do we really did we really need it right we uh correct um and again it's it, look, past it gets, present future uh, we this is a by now everyone knows the mission of our hamptons we're about folklore and preservation and open space we all know these things but we're also uh esperanza and i don't have blinders on. We see what's happening around this community. Um, the short answer is we don't know what the future is going to hold for this property. Um, I guess time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, as usual, Erwin, food for thought. And it was an interesting look back at 25 years of the house that ate the Hamptons. Of James controversy, Brady. yeah, exactly. yeah, which yeah. kind of sits quietly on that dune. <laughs> and and it's, then it does, and you know, and that's a good place to, I think, stop here in a sense. Yeah. Um, all of those people who are saying this is the end of Sagaponic and et cetera and so on, uh, say what you will, this has been, now I don't live in Sagaponic, neither does Esperanza, but they have been off radar. This has not been, uh, you really after the initial brouhaha, never really heard much of this. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever that means. So good, good fences make good neighbors, I guess, or something like that. Something like that. <laughs> well, thanks for the dialogue, Esperanza. That was fun. Very fun as always. And Erwin, uh, until next time. Until next time. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. New episodes of Our Hamptons are released every other Tuesday. Find them wherever you get your podcasts.